Ananian. I've always talked to you about how important it is for mechanics to be good. Car doctor. Good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. There's a lot there. There's a lot that that means. And, you know, that also puts the mantra on the mechanic. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, start your engines. Welcome aboard. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. The phone number again, 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's 24-7 phone number. Here to take your calls and answer your questions, leading the charge of fixing all of America's broken cars out across this great country and the Internet and the world, I guess, at this point, thanks to the power of the Internet. But we're here live Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time on the network, 855-560-9900. Leave a message. And if we don't get you during the live broadcast, leave a message and our executive producer will call you back during the week and hook you up so we can talk to you during the live broadcast and uh, help solve your problem and educate the rest of the listenership. And that's really what this radio show is all about and here to do. If you want more information about us, podcasts and all the good stuff, get out to cardoctorshow.com. Check out the Facebook page if you're so inclined. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor. As a matter of fact, I guess I should do this early. Tom, can I do this early? Um, here, I've got it right in front of me. So... I just want everybody to know that we've officially been, well, I've officially been designated. I can do this now, right, Tom? This is okay? What are we doing? Well, um, you know, because I have to ask Tom's permission. Can I talk about this? Why not? Okay. I think it's great. So everybody's seen Miracle on 34th Street? Yep. Right? And, and you know, the where the mail at the end and they prove that Santa Claus does exist because they get the... You know, the mail comes to the post office and it says Santa Claus and they deliver it to Chris Kringle sitting there in the post office. I got a letter this week and this is how it's addressed. Car doctor, 59 West Prospect Street, Waldwick, New Jersey. That's all it says. It doesn't say Ron Ananian. It doesn't say RA Automotive. It just says car doctor. That means that the post office, a branch of the federal government, has designated and recognized me as the car doctor. I just wanted to get that out of the way. If you go out to the Facebook page, we actually have a picture of it up there. And uh, um, Actually, I think it's on my personal page. We'll have to share it and move it over to the, uh, to the show page. But um, it, was just, it, was just, it just kind of made me laugh. I, I, it was that kind of a week. Let me tell you about my week first. Monday, Tuesday night, I had the privilege of sitting in on an automotive training group class. And when I say privilege, I mean privilege because I sat with, you know, guys that are not just teaching the class but taking the class. And it takes a lot to fix cars all day long. I was I did a nine-hour day during the day at the shop on Monday and left and drove an hour and a half to go to class, sat in the classroom until 1030 at night, got home at midnight, got up the next day, did it all over again, took the class the second night. It was a two-night class and got up Wednesday and went to work and fixed cars again. And the privilege part is not just the instructor and the quality of the class that ATG puts on, but 
so refreshing to sit there with hardcore, hey, we want to learn how to fix the car. We want to know the new systems. We're really trying to stay up with the technology mechanics. And, you know, they're just they're, they're getting better. You can see that the industry, the technology is forcing mechanics to either get better or retire or go away or become plumbers or something else other than mechanics because it's it's there there is no substitute for the faint of heart and there is no substitute for those that can't fix cars anymore and one of the things i learned in this class on monday night and i did i learned something every time i go to class people say why do you go to class ron you know you've been doing this forever you know what i could be doing it forever but every time you turn around there's always something new to learn you always walk away with something and i walked away with a bunch of great stuff it was interesting to hear how the instructor from Automotive Training Group talked about maintenance. And this isn't his opinion. This is based on research and what they found and what causes cars and systems to fail. Tonight's topic of conversation was about, was about gasoline direct injection, or commonly known as GDI. GDI is a very high-pressure, very precise method of fuel injection. It, it allows timing of the fuel injection cycle so that it's introduced into the cylinder at the correct moment to produce maximum power, minimum emissions, and maximum fuel economy. In other words, the best of all worlds. But there are some downsides to it. There are some downsides to GDI that we learned in class. Not the fact that it can break. I mean, everything breaks. We know that. But the conversation and the way Chris talked about oil, you know, oil, and lack of changes is the biggest problem facing GDI engines. And when I say GDI engines, GDI has been around seven, eight years. It goes back to uh, 10 on some vehicles and maybe a little earlier on others, but it's across the board. GM, Ford, Toyota, Honda, uh, Volkswagen, Audi, a lot of, most of the Europeans. About the only domestic I remember from class that doesn't have it is Chrysler. But who knows what next year will bring? They're probably working on it. And it was interesting to hear how the biggest problems they're seeing are from vehicles that aren't getting their oil changed properly. And by properly, vehicles that are waiting until manufacturer's interval or until the light comes on or following, you know, the recommendation of, you know, the manufacturer that says 10,000 miles on an oil change. The top, the top five or six compromises, as they call them, I'm reading out of the book, the GDI compromise, inventing new failures. Parasitic losses. Cam lobes are forced because a cam lobe, they put a lobe on the fuel pump. It's like a fuel pump driver for a small block Chevy, right? It just creates an eccentric and it just drives the pump and creates high pressure and allows the injectors to inject the fuel under such a high pressure that it, it's it's more efficient for a lot of reasons I can't go into here. But um, you know that's the purpose and the brainchild of the system. But they're using cam lobes and that creates a loss because it's it's parasitic drag. There's issues with carbon deposits that come about because of the style of GDI, because GDI injects the fuel not on the back of the intake valve, but directly into the cylinder, which creates carbon deposits on the valve as a result, and hard carbon deposits, not like the old port fuel injected where it would spray on the back of the valve and it helped kept the carbon soft. Camware, chain strain. They're seeing a lot of issues with timing chains. And I can tell you from experience, we see a lot of timing chain problems in the shop because of the chain is stretched. And think of that bicycle. 
cam sprocket, crank sprocket, right? Big sprocket, little sprocket, like a, like a bicycle setup. That chain stretches. That chain stretches because of breakdown of the oil, because the oil isn't what it's supposed to be. It's incorrect oil. You know, a lot of us talk about oil and how often should I change it, and it seems to be it generates more comments and conversation than anything else. I can tell you after taking the GDI class that I think the answer for oil changes is more is better. And I've said this all along, but I I think it proves the point on why more is better because of the problems that can happen. Because Here, I'll, I'll say it like this. Gas direct injection engines have a high pressure pump. That pump is triggered by a lobe on the camshaft. That camshaft lobe is located at the rear of the camshaft on the majority of engines. The rear of the camshaft is the last lubricated journal in the engine in many cases. So we put the highest pressure point contact area of the system at the most critical what's the better way to say it, the most critical, vulnerable area of the cam. And now we drag out the oil change. Now we extend that oil change interval. And guess what happens? We wear out the cam journal, we wear out the cam bearing, and we create engine problems. And then we set all sorts of trouble codes, and we're dragging that cam around to the point that now the car gets 130, 140, maybe 90. And that chain is stretched. You know, when you hear me talk about oil change interval and problems with GDI and things like that, it's 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 not the car with 30,000, 40,000 miles on it that you're leasing that you're going to get rid of in two and a half, three years. Hey, you know what? Cars are like kids. When you're a teenager, you can go out and howl at the moon all night long. All right? Where do you where do you turn twenty six or twenty seven? I said this to a to a to a youngster yesterday that came to pick up her car. She's just seventeen driving, and the mom's telling me how she stays out all hours of the night, and you know she's not home till ten eleven o'clock, and she stays up till three o'clock in the morning in the house and the whole nine yards. I said, yeah, don't don't expect this to go on forever. You're going to turn twenty one, twenty two after you graduate college. By twenty five, ten o'clock on Saturday night, it's a real late night, and you want to go to bed. Part of the reason why the oil change interval becomes so critical on GDI isn't because the engine wears. It's because the extended oil drain interval can also affect positive crankcase ventilation systems, PCV. It gums up the breather system. So what happens is the crankcase doesn't vent as good as it should. Oil fumes will collect in the wrong place. The pistons become carboned up. The intake valves become carboned up. Sometimes the oil is drawn in in an irregular amount, depending upon the system failure. And now the engine starts to burn oil. And when it burns oil, it coats the catalytic converter. And all these problems come up and about as a result of the failure of the of the way the oil change interval was done. So it obviously, you know, GDI, is a, is a it, it's, a, it's a great idea and it's working. And I got a lot out of the class. And I think every mechanic out there should really look at the ATG website and and or training in their area and get some training on GDI, but understand the ramifications, understand the failures, understand what goes wrong. You know, for every time we create new technology and it's better and it's going to make us work, you know, the car last longer and do what it's supposed to do, for every new technology, it creates a larger circumference of problems. So when that car is young, 40,000, 50,000 miles, 30,000 miles, whatever it is, lease car, yeah, you know what? I don't care if you ever change the oil. 
If you're leasing the car, heck, I encourage you not to change the oil. You know what? It's not going to matter. Do, do it by the regulations of your lease requirement, all right? Because it doesn't matter. But when that car has got 100,000 miles on it, 120,000 miles on it, when you're trying to get 2250 out of it, in many cases, especially with newer GDI technology, you're going to see issues with oil consumption coming up as a result of not changing it or changing it as per manufacturer specification. Keep in mind, this information doesn't come from a guy that's trying to sell oil changes, and it doesn't come from a guy that's trying to sell cars. It comes from a guy that's trying to teach us how to repair cars and keep them going longer. And um, a very unbiased opinion. I really appreciated it. Uh, big tip of the wrench to the guys out there at atgautomotivetraininggroup.com. And uh, um, that's that. I'm Ron Annie and the Car Doctor. I'll be back right after this. Hey, welcome back. Ron Annie and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. I should just point out, just to continue the conversation just for a brief second about GDI, you look at the technology difference. So an old-style port fuel-injected vehicle, which was, you know, 2010 model year down, older stuff, you were averaging 35 to 50 PSI, 50 pounds of fuel pressure. Gasoline direct injection, just to give you an idea of what they're doing, fuel pressure will vary anywhere from 600 to 3,000 PSI, depending upon the system, depending upon the point at when it would be measured and tested. 3,000 PSI. There's no way to even hook up a mechanical gauge to a GDI system. Not easily, not at field level, not for what we're doing. And they make it very convenient to do so by means of a pressure sensor built into the pump, built into the system, or on the rail. The interesting part, and this is where diagnosis comes in, when you're counting on the sensor to tell you what system pressure is on a broken car, how do you know it's right if the car is broken? Because incorrect sensor readings electronically to you will also mean incorrect sensor readings and cause the computer itself to not work properly. So there's a lot of information going on with GDI in terms of diagnosis that's going to – it is. It, it has changed the playing field and, and making it so different in how we approach the cars. And that's my point. That's a lot of my point that, you know, this this whole thing about – we're going to fix the car this way, or we're going to drive the car this way, we're going to maintain the car this way. You've created all this new technology. You've got to be open to doing it different and based on what real world is, and real world is always the way to go. Um, by the way, I should point out this hour, wait a minute, i got a note here, if I can get it away from Tom and Tony. Um, once again, this hour, we're going to be giving away this hour or next. I don't know when we're going to do it. It's up to Tom today. Um, Tom's approaching the mic. Are you guys done playing with the car yet? Um, doing what? The, the car. What, what car? What, what car are you talking about? You know, every time we get a 39 Ford from Wix as a giveaway, yeah, you guys keep playing with the thing. The last one we gave away, the guy called up. He wanted to know where the spare tire was, and he wanted to know why there were marks, like the car was doing a burnout, and there were flat spots. You can't drag the car across where the We're living our floor. childhood, Ron. I thought we were supposed to test it. No. it's you, you Leave it in the box and leave it alone. No. You know, this is a, this is a 39 Ford... Uh, die-cast car from the folks over at Wix, wixfilters.com. Um, it's it's based on the car that Henry Ford introduced, you know, in 1932 with his V8 engine. Um, it has roots back in the Great Depression. Uh, you know, this is this is a neat piece. You guys have to stop this. It's got hot rod, hot rod custom features, an opening hood and trunk, a detailed Ford flathead engine. 
Stop it. You're not little kids anymore. You ruin our fun every no, time. You're not little kids Scrooge. anymore. Scrooge. No, no. Scrooge. Oh, yeah, that's a couple more months. I'm sorry. Okay. Listen. Wait till I get to the Giants oh, prediction for this week. Wait, I'll wait, show wait. you didn't, Scrooge. Didn't you get the letter that proves that you exist, so therefore we can now call you Scrooge? I think you got me there, Tom. I think you're right. There we go. See? Yeah. Well, we'll see. So let's uh, let me get over. Let me go. Let me go over and get to the phones. The phones will save me right now. Let's go and talk to Eric, Louisiana. Eric, are you there, sir? I am here, sir. I appreciate your patience. I have to deal with these two every week. Um, last week we talked about for the for the listeners, just to refresh everybody's memory. Last week we talked about your 2011 Nissan Altima and the cabin air filter location, and you you couldn't find it, correct? Or your mechanic couldn't find it. That's correct, sir. Research shows that, and I was pretty certain, but I wanted to just do the research, every Nissan made since 2007 has a cabin air filter. So it has to be there. And where it is on yours, you're assuming that it's right behind the glove compartment, if I remember? Yeah, that's what he was assuming. Okay. The glove compartment actually, um, if you... It's sometimes the glove compartment has to come out if if you're a contortionist or if you're if you're small enough. The cabin filter on this particular car is located in the evaporator case in the center of the front of the vehicle. So it's down on your knees, open the passenger door, look to the underneath the glove compartment area there'll be a there'll be a vertical flap that um, unclips and the cabin filter slides out for that all the way up close to the firewall towards the engine compartment side. All right? But it's yes, not, sir. It's not in a conventional spot. You might have to remove the glove box to gain access to it. But if he, if he looks up a procedure, he'll find it that way. All right, sir? But your car does have a cabin filter. I verified it by VIN and I verified it by application as well as just looking it up for reference. Well, I sure appreciate that, sir. You're very welcome to you. Good luck to you, Eric. And if you have any more questions, any problems, you give us a shout or drop me an email, ron at cardoctorshow.com. Hey, I'm Ron Anany and the Car Doctor. I'll be back right after this. Running in the car doctor and uh, out of my dreams, and um, here I am into my second half hour of this segment. Um, uh, an email, and I love the longer emails. You know, I'm starting. I'm starting to enjoy the longer emails. Keep them coming, Ron at CarDoctorShow.com, because a lot of what you have to say makes a lot of sense, and you're you're, you're putting things into words and expressions that I feel. Man, I'm right there with you. It's just the insanity of the world, but. From an automotive perspective, this one comes to us from Scott out in California. Ron, I have to rant for a second about battery chargers. It goes on for a whole page. I charge a battery maybe every year. One of us forgets and leaves some lights on or a battery starts to go bad and something happens like we sit at a park with the radio on. Yeah, okay, I can dig it. A few years ago, the Schumacher computer-controlled battery charger I bought quit. It never really charged right, and I never really trusted it. How do you get 15-amp charge out of something that doesn't even weigh a pound? Well, he makes a good point, although I'm sure Tom would have something to say about that. Why do I get a different percentage of charge every time I plug, unplug, and not by 1% or 2%, but 10 or 20%? The charger for my laptop is heavier. Tonight, my wife left her lights on at work, so I ran down and jumped it, and the alternator was only showing 13.3 volts. The battery was totally dead. Nothing worked on the car until I hooked up the booster. 
So, hard to tell if the alternator is bad or just overworked, charging a really dead battery. Um, I should point out that a lot of these less expensive battery chargers with the built-in testers really don't do a great job. This is back to that conversation about the battery chargers and the testers that work off the mathematical algorithm. They're okay, and I think they used to be better in the sense that maybe the technology provided was better. The, the batteries were different. There was there was clearly a change in the last couple of years because I've had more than a few cars where you need that load on the battery to accurately test it. You need the old school carbon pile load, the old SunVat 40 machine that we all knew and had in the repair shop business. Anyway, back to Scott's letter. The battery was dead. Um, so, okay, here we go. I'm sorry. So I head to the auto parts store to buy a charger. They don't have anything under $90 in stock, and you're surprised why. There's a $40 one, but it's not available. Four stores and 50 drive miles later, I finally get this $40 Simpleton, which does six or two amps and is, again, computer-controlled and weighs but a feather. Here's the problem with computer-controlled chargers, all right? And I've run into this at the shop in that one of my – well, actually, my better – my best, I'll say it like that. My best battery charger is computer-controlled. And what it will do is you'll you'll hook it up, turn it on. It will look at state of charge of the battery, temperature of the battery, um, you know, how much life it has left in it, internal resistance of the battery, and determine the charge rate or how fast it's going to charge based on what it senses. Here's the problem. A really dead battery may not charge at all. And I haven't, I'm sure there's a scientific answer. I haven't been able to get one yet because I can hook up one of the older school battery chargers and it will fire right off and it will run and charge and I don't have an issue. Now, I think a lot of this is because of the technology and we're we're trying to be delicate, but we're creating problems. I really want an old school, going back to Scott's letter, I really want an old school 10-pound battery or manual uh, charger. I figured it'll last forever. Dad had one for 50 years. I had one for 25, but it died. Anyway, 25 is better than 5. Yeah, Scott, you know what? That's true. And they exist, $23 on Amazon. Except we can't buy them in California. California has determined they're not energy efficient enough. They'd rather have me waste a bunch of gas driving around and throwing one away for every few years. He's got a point there, right? Filling up the landfill. With, with a crappy battery charger that doesn't really work or last, <sighs> rather than buy one, which will probably outlive me and use it once every year or so. I guarantee for all the more I use it, the waste of throwing it away, these computer-controlled pieces of <clears throat> is far worse for the environment. Well, yeah. The car in question is a 2006, 2006, I'm sorry, RAV4, 2.4 liter with 225,000 miles on it. So, you know, here's a guy who's clearly into cars. He's driving an 11-year-old car with a quarter million miles on it, and he's just trying to keep it going. And he's just saying, hey, where can I get a good battery charger? And yet he's finding the legislation and the restrictions are keeping him from doing it. I have an awesome mechanic I clearly love. He covers all the stuff that I'm too tired or old or lazy to do, plus sees the car at least once a year on general principles, so I have a second set of eyes to look things over and keep me on my toes. I love your show. I've been following you since I caught you on KSRO in Santa Rosa sometime before 2005. Keep up the good work. And um, I think this one is this last, this last part is for Tom and Tony. And this is from Scott in Cordelia, C-O-R-D-L-I-A, Cordelia, California. Scott says the Giants are, are going to be lucky if they go 8-8. Eight and eight. They need to get OBJ back. Tony and Tom are going to be sad campers all year. Good luck with that. 
Listen. Um, <laughs> now, wait, before one, you respond, monkey, this is family radio I understand. Now. One bad apple does not spoil the whole bunch when it comes to the Giants. Unfortunately, our quarterback is just one-dimensional and always throws the OBJ. Right. You know, we have Brandon Marshall. And also, a former wide receiver is looking for employment, Victor Cruz. You know, so we, we can get Rick, Victor Cruz right now since OBJ is on injured reserve. You, know, you play to win the game. We're just trying to win the game right now. And, and by the way, do you have this guy's physical address? Because Tony and I can fly out and have a chat with him. We, we can make a five-hour trip to, to the West Coast. Well, no, but he, he does say if they're looking for me, they can find me down here at Gold's Gym. He works out down in Cordelia, California. Well, we, we can go to the nearest sporting goods store and get two Louisville Sluggers. Uh, well, I think you're going to need at least that. Uh, <laughs> however, this is California. They may not be energy efficient. Right. <laughs> you know, either that or they may not be allowed because of environmental waste. The bats probably emit some kind of an odor or toxicity to them. Uh, maybe the varnish isn't allowed in the state of California. Anything's possible. Um, Scott wrote a great letter. And I've got to tell you, this is the kind of technology that we're talking about. Remember a couple of years ago when they, who here has has tried to put, you know, buy gas for a small lawnmower or a snow thrower? All right. And they, they who, what genius 10 years ago came out with that idea about the um, non-vented gas cans that don't emit fumes. I mean, it's the most complicated thing in the world, trying to put gas in a can and then gas into a small engine now. And same idea as what Scott's going through. Uh, you know, we're looking too closely at the numbers to, you know, with battery chargers, you know, they're more energy efficient. So we're going to have, we're worried about battery chargers and how they work and how they charge the battery, but we're making a push for electric vehicles. It's not that difficult. You get a funnel. You take the you take the spout off the thing and you pour it into the funnel. Right. Done. Right. Done. Um, I just I don't get it. But uh, Scott, I appreciate the letter. I really do. I, I I you know what it was fun to read. Keep them coming. More like that. Ron at CarDoctorShow dot com. Let me pull over and take the pause. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor. Keep in mind today we're giving away a Wix diecast thirty nine Ford from the folks at Wix WixFilters dot com. So uh, you want to call in to uh, take a shot at winning it, be sure you're nice to Tom when you do call in, and uh, good luck. I'm Ron Annie, the Car Doctor. I'll be back right after this. Hey, welcome back. Ron Annie, the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. Let's uh, do an email from overseas this time. Richard, uh, dear Ron, last time we spoke, you diagnosed a clutch problem on a 63 Corvette Coupe. This is from Richard McCann out in London, England. Uh, may I ask you now to please move your wisdom on almost 50 years and advise me about the clutch on a 2008 Aston Martin Vantage? I got to tell you, Richard, I haven't done a clutch on a 2008 Aston Martin Vantage, but we'll uh, we'll talk about uh, suggested principles, as you uh, say here in your letter. Although I suspect you you continue, the principle applies to many modern cars, not just Astons. I am looking at a few of these cars, and I hear stories of some needing new clutches and only 10,000 miles. Not the fault of the car, just bad drivers, since other people get 50,000 miles, no problem. I'm not talking about sport shift. I mean the stick version here. My question is, when looking at a used car, how can I tell how much clutch is left since, as I understand it, a hydraulic clutch will self-adjust so it will bite in the same point right up to the day it slips, which, knowing my luck, will be the day after I buy the car. With a clutch on one of these fellows costing around $5,000, it's important a dealer service book won't tell me anything unless there are worksheets to accompany it saying new clutch at X miles. Usually there's nothing except stamps in the book. I love the show. I've listened every Saturday for many years. All the good wishes to you and yours, Richard. Dr. Richard McCann, London, England. Uh, you know, buying a used Aston Martin is no different than buying anything used. All right? It's, it's you know, price dictates 
uh, condition and condition dictates demand and demand dictates marketplace and so on and so forth. It all goes around in a, in a loop. You know, there is no way to tell if a hydraulic clutch is worn. There's a way to just get a general feel for how is the car. You know, people can go out and abuse a clutch. And, yeah, you're right. Buying a stick is iffy because you don't know what kind of condition or what kind of shape that vehicle was in or what kind of care it got prior to, um, you know, you owning it. But one thing to have keep in mind is, you know, looking at the overall condition. How are the clutch pedals? Is the clutch pedal worn? Is the brake pedal worn? Does it look like somebody was two-footing it going around a corner at 90 miles an hour and, you know, trying to go for something other than what the car was intended to do? Granted, an Aston Martin was probably meant to do 90 miles an hour, two-footing it, upshifting at seven grand. You know, that's what those cars are. But there is no way to have a tried-and-true guarantee. I would check fluid level. I would have a mechanic do a, do a 100% inspection, uh, you know, and just be aware of things. I would look at where on the front end, where on the tires, how do the brakes look, things like that. In order to tell what kind of shape the clutch is in, you probably need to look at other components in the car. Now, I'm not saying it's impossible, but somebody could actually drive this car hard take care of it, keep it clean, keep it maintained, and you would never know the difference. But usually, if someone disrespects the car in terms of how they drive it and abuse, they'll disrespect the car and abuse it in the way they maintain it. And that's just a good general rule of thumb to follow. One of the key things I look at or actually listen to when I'm buying a used car, trying to help somebody buy a used car, one of the first things I do is turn on the radio. I always listen to what radio stations there are. If the radio stations are loud, in your case it's London, punk rock, heavy metal, you know, whatever it might be coming out of the speakers, then, you know, maybe they were zooming along and driving the car hard. If it's, you know, easygoing symphony music, if it's news talk, if it's news radio, maybe it was an older driver that owned that vehicle and, you know, they weren't zipping around beating on it. The problem comes back to, yes, there is no way to be sure. The only way you can maybe control the damage, purchase it from a dealer, but then the price is going to go up. There is no free lunch. That's just the way it works. We had someone come in the shop this week looking to purchase a used vehicle for their daughter. They, they saw a car in the neighborhood, a 2008 Ford Escape with 93,000 miles on it. They brought the car in. I did my two-page checklist. I scanned all the computers for modules. And, you know, just are, are there any faults anywhere? And I gave him a green light. And I said, you know, these cars with proper care and maintenance can go to 250,000, 300,000 miles. Tom Ray, my chief engineer here, he drove a square box escape, a 2010 model year, to about 210,000 miles, gave it to his daughter who's up at Tufts University in, in Mass, and she's got a quarter million miles on the car now. And, you know, it just it keeps going. It was well cared for. It was maintained. But we also have service records to look at. In your case, you don't, but you're going to have a problem. You're going to be taking a shot here regardless, Richard. I guess that's what I'm coming back to tell you. I mean, I think you know that, but you're going to be taking a gamble on this anyway. Um, I would just, you know, stop and consider, do you want to purchase from a dealer? Maybe there's a certified pre-owned Aston Martin. But... You know, it's, it is what it is, brother. There's just no guarantees. And if you just focus on the clutch, um, you can miss the fact that the rear end is ready to fall out of the vehicle, too. A good, solid overall inspection by an Aston Martin tech 
or an Aston Martin specialist or a dealer mechanic and then you know hope for the best at that point. There is no way to tell how much wears in a clutch without pulling the trans and the clutch apart itself. And um, that's the answer to that. Good luck to you in England, and um, thanks for tuning us in, Richard. I appreciate it. 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's coming back right after this. Welcome back. Right on the end of the Car Doctor, rolling along this hour and kind of winding things down. Uh, 855-560-9900 is the phone number, 24-7. Give us a call, and we can uh, help you solve your car problem. Uh, email, Ron, you've been talking about cabin filters a lot lately. Yeah, we have. I don't know why. We're talking a lot about cabin filters, a lot of questions. My 2004 Subaru Baja, the cabin filters were optional. My Baja does not have the cabin filters. Any reason to add one if the windows are usually down anyway? Thanks, Tony Hansen. Um, listen, cabin filters are not just there for your benefit, and that's what makes this a great email to read, in that cabin filters are there also to help protect the evaporator, the part under the dashboard. You know, I can remember back 20 years ago when Jeeps, if you had a Jeep Grand Cherokee, 93, 94, 95, right up through model year 2000, they had all sorts of problems, specifically Grand Cherokee and Cherokees, with evaporators. And the design of the system was that it allowed leaves and debris to drain into the evaporator case and collect against the evaporator and cause the metal, the the actual composition of the evaporator, to rot out. And what would happen was, over time, that rot would turn into disarray, and then the evaporator would leak, and you'd have to take the dashboard apart to put an evaporator in it. So that cabin filter is there to help prevent schmutz, all right? A non-technical industry term, schmutz, debris, leaves, twigs, junk in the air, pollen, all the stuff that would lay against that evaporator. Because remember, an evaporator, an air conditioning evaporator, is usually wet. It's got moisture on it. So you put some leaves and twigs and whatever else is floating around in the air against that wet surface, and over time, it will cause damage to the evaporator. That's one. It will also cause mildew. And it will cause things to start growing, all right? We're, we're taking biological matter and we're adding water to it in a dark environment. What do you think happens to it? So your question, you know, do you really need one if it, the windows are down? Yeah, I think you do. And if there's an optional kit for you to put in there, I would by all means tell you to do it. All right. Look, go out to Wix Filters. Go out to WixFilters.com. They've got a great section about cabin filters explaining what they're there for. And it goes in depth. Um, You may be able to even find a cabin filter for your 2004 Subaru Baja there. Um, I'm sure you can, but maybe you can find a kit. Maybe they've got the upgrade kit. But in any event, if there's a way to put a cabin filter in it, I would do it. WixFilters.com. I'm Ron Anany and the Car Doctor. That about does it for this hour. Until the next time, good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.